Good morning. My name is Justin, and I serve as a pastor here at Berean, and it is a privilege to be here with you. We are in our Faith Hero series, and before we dive in, I want to say that some of my favorite faith heroes, you'll never guess where they are. (laughs) (laughs) Buffalo was said, for those of you who didn't hear that. Faith heroes, I'm talking about faith heroes. There are many of my heroes in Buffalo, I admit. Some of my favorite faith heroes are right here in this room this morning. You are people of faith who could be comfortable. And I think many of you know this. You could be comfortable and you choose instead to keep living on mission and you choose here in green to keep giving away some of your best resources and volunteers and staff to other communities. Do you know that in the last few years, you have invested over $2 million in two other communities, to our north and to our east. And that's absolutely mind-boggling for a country church like Green. And I just need to say that today there are people that join us up at Cincinnatus, and they join us from Bainbridge by Simulcast and online, and they're here because of you, and they're here because of your faith. You know, five years ago, an idea was kind of conceived to do this again, to invest in another community to our south. And I I hesitate to use this word, but in the past five years, we've been pregnant as a church with a new campus. That's a weird thing to say. But in a month from now, we give birth. Now, Giving birth, I've seen my wife do it a number of times. It's not easy. It's painful. It takes a lot. And so it's taken a lot of, out of our team and our volunteers and our staff, and yet you and the team here keep doing it because you want to live on mission. And so next month, we're going to be saying goodbye to some really awesome families, and they're going to leave us here at Green to go down to the Binghamton area. And in my conversations the last few weeks with some of those families, just saying, hey, have you made up your mind? What are you going to do? You're going to stay here at Green? You're going to go? Almost every single family I've talked to said, their mind's made up, and they're leaving. And here, I I wrote down what one family in this room said. They said this, we've been praying about this decision, and we've decided that we don't want to leave Green. We love it here. We're comfortable here. And we don't think God wants us to be comfortable So we're going to go down and help launch this new campus in the Binghamton area. And I am blown away by that. I've got to tell you, it's always been my dream to be at a church with big faith. And being at Berean is a dream come true. Now, next month, for the first time in Berean's history, we're going to be worshiping at four physical locations every week plus online. And so when we, when we do that, we're going to be able here at Green, when we send off these families to fit back into one worship gathering. And so next month in September, this is just a little heads up, we're going to be doing one worship gathering on Sundays at 9.30, so kind of in between the two worship times. You say, how long will we do that for? Until we outgrow this room again. By God's grace, that won't be long. But our desire is to always reach more people for Jesus Christ. So, when we give birth next month, 
I'm just going to ask you, be praying for those that are going to our south. And be knowing that there will be people who hear about Jesus and receive him because of your sacrifice, your unselfishness, and your generosity. And those are qualities that you here at Berean have in spades. And there will be people whose lives and marriages and families are transformed, and it's because of your sacrifice. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for living like faith heroes. Can I give you a hand this morning? Oh, you can join me too. That's okay. <laughs> but let me, let me just quickly join with you, though, in praying for these families that we're sending off in just a few weeks. Our, our preview gathering start September 11th, September 11th and 18th down at Regal Theater on Front Street. Be praying for us. And then on the 25th of September is our grand opening Sunday. Let's pray. Father, this is an exciting season in the life of our church. Lord, it is an enormous sacrifice, especially for the people here at Green. There are so many folks that we just don't want to say goodbye to. And yet they're, they're going to be part of our church family still. They're just going to be on mission in a new community, reaching a new area for Jesus. And so we pray that you will use them in a great way to invite their friends and their families and their, and their neighbors to you. And God, we can't wait to see what you do. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we kind of gather back at, for, for one gathering starting in September here at Green, that it will be a relief for a little while to our volunteer team and, 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 and our staff and, and that we'll be able to see, Lord, more people reached in the Green area for Jesus Christ. I, I want to pray for Cincinnatus. I want to pray for Bainbridge. I thank you for what you are doing in those communities. God, we don't have time to share all the stories today of what you're doing, but it is exciting and we commit all this to you because our heart and our desire is that we are people who live on mission. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to begin with a question. And if you um, respond yes to this question, I'd like you to raise your hand, okay? And it's not a question about the bills, don't worry. Here we go. How many of you are insecure? So you were like, I'm not raising my hand for that. Okay, some of you are really secure enough to raise your hand for that. That's impressive. Now, listen to this. They have done tons of research on insecurity, and the latest research shows that when they survey people across the world, this isn't American research, across the world, they found that the current rate of human insecurity is at 100%. In other words, 100% of people are insecure. And those that appear most secure are usually the least secure. They've simply learned to compensate with confidence or calmness. So if you feel insecure, just know you're not alone. Know that all the rest of us are too. We've just learned to compensate. Because I think inside of most of us is a little voice. And that little voice is telling us, I'm not good enough. God can't use me. My past and my baggage disqualifies me from X. And there's within us that insecurity that's sometimes quiet and sometimes loud in all of our heads. 
But let me ask you, what if messed up people like me and messed up people like you, what if we're not God's plan B? What if we're his plan A? What if God delights in using imperfect, messed up people like us? Let me ask another question. Who here would say you're messed up, imperfect? Okay, that's pretty unanimous. What if God delights in using people just like you? Today we're going to look at a story of someone who had every reason to be incredibly insecure. Their past and their baggage was absolutely disqualifying in every sense of the word. And yet one day God used that person in ways that changed the course of history for her and for God's people and for us. To see this story, we got to turn to Joshua chapter 2. And in the chair Bibles in front of you, it's page 180. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. So if you want to tap in a, in a Bible app, you can hit NLT and you'll be able to follow along word for word. Okay, Joshua chapter 2. Uh, and by the way, regardless of what campus you're at this morning, if you would like to take that chair Bible home with you, please do. It is our gift, our investment to you. Joshua chapter 2. Let me give you, I know you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background to this story. The, the people that we're going to look at today grew up hearing stories. How many of you had parents that would share stories with you about the past? <laughs> okay, and, and sometimes they'd share them with you multiple times to really burn them into your memory. So this crew that we're going to look at today grew up hearing their parents talk repeatedly about the day. It was, it was an epic day in their parents' lives. It was the day when these former slaves would get to walk into their new homeland. And this new homeland was going to be this beautiful and bountiful land. They were going to enjoy homes that they hadn't built. They were going to enjoy gardens that they hadn't planted. They were going to eat from fruit trees that they hadn't grown. All they needed to do was step into the promised land ready to fight, and let God give them the victory. But they hesitated instead. They sent some scouts into the land to spy it out. The scouts came back and said the land is just as good as God says it is, but there's giants in the land, and the cities are fortified and walled. And what happened in that moment is that fear grew in their hearts. And instead of stepping forward in faith, they step back in fear. That's a natural human reaction. But in that moment of disbelief, you know what God decided? He decided to withdraw, rescind his offer of the land. And they were devastated, so they said, Oh, okay, okay, we'll go, we'll go, we'll, go, we'll obey. Well, it was too late. And so they tried to go into the land without God fighting for them, and they were humiliated and defeated in battle. And it was for a simple reason. God was no longer fighting for them. They hadn't lived in faith. They had listened to the voice of fear. So today's story is picking up 40 years later. Their parents are all dead, except for two of them who had faith. Their parents are gone. They've been wandering in the wilderness. It's been 40 years since that day, that epic day that was supposed to be the day of going in the land. And instead was a day of devastation. And now they as the kids are on the edge of the promised land and you're never going to guess what they're doing on the edge of the land. 
they're going to send out some scouts to spy out the land too, just like their parents. So it's deja vu all over again, and you're thinking, oh, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and they do. Joshua chapter 2, check out what happens. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named, named what? Rahab, mark that name down, and stayed there that night. All right, so these two scouts go into the city. It's the first walled city that they need to conquer if they're going to take the promised land for themselves. And they find shelter at an unusual place. It's the home of a prostitute. Now, just to get into their thinking, this was a pretty safe place to go because strangers constantly came and went from this home. And they were almost always anonymous. So it's a great place to go when you're trying to be incognito, much better than staying at the local inn. But somehow, word of their visit leaks. And that's where the trouble starts. Verse 2. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now, does this sound like a royal request or a royal decree? Yeah, he was giving an order. Rahab must comply. Give up the spies who are in your house. I'm just imagining those spies right there in her house, listening in on this conversation, sweating bullets, because their lives are literally in the hands of a foreign prostitute. Oh, sounds like a great day. Not a great place to be. Verse 4, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So you see here Rahab doing something highly unusual. She's sticking out her neck to hide these two, two guys. You're thinking, why is she risking her life to save them? And it's more than just self-preservation. And you can see her motive by looking at the next part of the story. Verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt 40 years ago. And we know that what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. Now check this out. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab believes something that no one in her city believed. She believed that the Israelites were going to defeat her people. But the reason was their God 
is the true God. So normally a traitor is in it for themselves. A traitor often will betray their country because they're trying to save themselves. But Rahab here explains her motive. Her motive is not just rooted in self-preservation. It's rooted in this strange belief in a God she would know very little about. She believes in the God of the Israelites. And I'm pretty sure when the spies chose her house to stay in that night, they weren't thinking, oh, let's pick a prostitute's home because she's certainly a believer. But that's exactly what they found. Read the last part of verse 11 with me again because I don't want you to miss Rahab's declaration of faith. She says, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. This is a Jerichoite. This is a prostitute. This is a foreigner whose people are about to be destroyed. You would not expect a declaration of faith to come from someone in this city. There are very few times in history when a foreign person who lived in a godless place expressed faith in God. And Rahab was one of those people. Now, check out the rest of the story with me and see how it ends. Verse 14. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left her, the men told, said, you will, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope. There's some cool symbolism to that that we, you, know, you can research on your own. But you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we're not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Where did they get that report? Directly from the mouth of the local prostitute in the city of Jericho. The young people on the edge of the promised land decide not to make the same mistake as their parents. And the reason is, their faith is bolstered by two spies who are single-handedly rescued by a prostitute named Rahab. And the rest is history. They get ready, and God gives them this incredible military victory. They conquer Jericho. They spare Rahab and her family. Everyone knew the house with the scarlet thread. You don't touch that house. And they'd go on to conquer many cities. They'd go on to live in the promised land, and they would always tell stories about that foreign lady Rahab who would go on to live with them 
that, that hero of faith who rescued their spies and, and paved the path to their victory. And there's actually a stunning twist to Rahab's story. She doesn't simply just survive and live with the Jewish people in the promised land. Her life going forward changes drastically. She ends up settling down and marrying. She marries a Jewish guy named Salmon. And they end up having a, a son. And Rahab's little boy's name is Boaz. And if you know the story of Ruth, you know that Boaz was one of the most unselfish, generous men in the entire Bible. And his mommy's name was Rahab. And it doesn't end there. Boaz has kids and, and, and the line continues. And you know who eventually comes from Rahab's line? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab gets written into the line of Jesus, the Messiah, the rescuer of heaven and earth. And if that's not enough, it gets better. There's more. Because see, at the end of the Bible, there's this hall of faith. If you're, a, if you're a baseball fan, you go to Cooperstown. If you're a rock and roll fan, you go to Cleveland, right? I don't know. I guess I'm not a rock and roll fan. But you go to a hall of fame. There's a hall of faith, and it's in Hebrews 11, and you're never going to guess whose name gets recorded in the hall of faith. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. No one saw that coming. No one saw that the local prostitute from Jericho would go on to father Boaz, would go on to be the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus Christ, would go on to be included in the hall of faith. What made Rahab famous? She had a ton of baggage. She had a ton of reasons to be ashamed. But one day, she decided to align herself with the God of heaven and earth. And it changed the course of her life. And it gave her a courage beyond anyone in her city. And she relied on her faith in God to get her through an impossible situation, helping the spies escape certain deaths so they could go back and tell their people, let's go. We heard from a lady who told us this land is ours for the taking. And it's interesting because when you read Rahab's story, I can't help but think of the brave people in Europe who during the Holocaust did the same thing to Jewish families and hid them behind false walls and crevices in their basement from the Nazis. And they did it at great risk to their own lives knowing that they could die for their stand, but knowing it was the right thing to do. Without Rahab, if you take Rahab out of this story, I don't know how this story ends. I don't know if the Israelite kids go in and get the promised land. She was an imperfect person in the right place at the right time. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be said about you someday?
right? You're an imperfect person who just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Some of you who are making the decision to leave, right, and, and go down and help us reach a new community, you're, you're just, I think, trying to say the same thing. I'm just an imperfect person who wants to be in the right place at the right time. I want to be where God can use me best. And in this Faith Hero series, as we look at faith heroes, that's what you find over and over and over, is just these messed up, imperfect people who are in the right place at the right time. And I, and I don't want you to miss the bigger picture here. In every story like this, the hero or the heroine is not the big hero. They are a lowercase hero or heroine who is somehow supporting the larger hero. And in this story, you find Rahab who aligns herself with the hero of heaven. And that changes the story. And it teaches us a bigger truth. We are not defined by our past. Can I get an amen? We are not defined by our family. Okay, a couple amens. We are not defined by our social status, our education. We are defined by our belief in God. And the big idea is so clear. Anyone who aligns with heaven's hero can become a faith hero. Will you repeat this with me? Anyone who aligns with heaven's hero can become a faith hero. Some of you don't believe me, do you? Can I try to convince you? In, in the last few moments of Jesus' life, uh, you know the story, I'm sure. He's, he's dying on a Roman cross, he, cross. He's bleeding. He's naked. He's in agony. The Romans knew how to kill people. He's in agony of mind and, mind and body. His accusers are standing on the ground, and, and they're mocking him mercilessly. And next to him is a violent criminal who's also mocking him, making his final hours even more agonizing. But unexpectedly, in Jesus' final moment, someone comes to his rescue, his defense. It's not one of his family members, and it's not even one of his followers. It is a criminal dying on another cross on the other side of him. A man who has nothing to offer Jesus. He is hours from death, and it's a death he deserves for his crimes. But as he's watched and listened to Jesus the last few hours, something started growing in his heart. And it's this little powerful force called faith. And with his final breaths, he shuts down the attacks of the criminal on the other side of Jesus by saying this, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he turns and looks at Jesus and he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just remember me. Like Rahab, this guy had a shameful past. He had nothing to offer Jesus other than his belief. But to Jesus, that's enough. <laughs> and without skipping a beat, Jesus looks at him and he says this, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
You imagine those who were standing there listening to this exchange? And the first person they hear Jesus invite into heaven, into paradise, is this criminal who's dying by capital punishment that he deserves. This guy is about to be welcomed into heaven. This guy who spent his life making a mess of his life, who's wronged the people around him, who's stolen, he's possibly even a, a murderer. Imagine the scene when Jesus welcomes this guy as his first guest into paradise. Further proof that there are no resume requirements to become God's kid. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter your education or social status. That whole list we just talked about, none of that matters other than this. Do you believe? Do you have faith? You trace the faith heroes from Abraham and Sarah to Joseph, from Moses to Rahab, from Peter and James and John. All of them were faith heroes for one simple reason. Faith. They believed in what they couldn't see. It was not their actions that saved them. In fact, it was God's actions that saved them. They simply aligned with heaven's hero. And they became a faith hero. So why are we so insecure? Why do we struggle so much thinking that God can't use us because of who we are, how we're wired, what our past is, what we're ashamed of? Let me tell you one more story. My wife, Annie, once had a, a co-worker named Art. And Art was a, a very talented photographer. Man, did he know how to shoot a camera. But Art had failed at life. He had failed at marriage. He had failed at his relationships. Due to a pretty difficult past, he didn't work well with people. He lived the life of a loner. He actually called himself a hermit. But Annie and I began to notice in him just a curiosity towards God. And Art became a friend of mine, and we would meet regularly over our shared love of Chinese food. And every Chinese restaurant in Binghamton got our business for years. And we'd meet and we'd talk. We'd just talk about life, we'd talk about politics, work, aliens, which was one of his favorite topics. Despite Art's past, Art was curious about Jesus. And yet his past kept him from believing in Jesus. In 2006, Art was diagnosed with both leukemia and lymphoma. And it began a long and a painful eight-year battle with cancer, incurable cancer. And Art's hunger for God remained, but it Something else remained for Art, and he was just certain of this. God could never forgive someone like him. He was convinced of that. And no matter how much Chinese I stuffed him with, he couldn't change his mind. And Art kept asking questions. He, he, he had questions that were just honest questions. How did we get here? 
he, he had been taught that we're just evolved animals and that there's no purpose to life, but he loved nature. He spent tons of time in the woods and was just convinced there's too much design in nature for it to be random chance. So, so he started searching and he explored many world religions and his search was empty at the end. He felt disillusioned by religion. And he became convinced that he was from a different planet, hence his fascination with aliens. He thought he was one. But he really couldn't make sense of that either. He couldn't figure it out. He was a very logical person and he couldn't make sense of that. He just felt like he didn't belong down here. He struggled to trust people, and he finally decided that the only trustworthy source of information, the only thing in this world that he couldn't disprove, that he couldn't see through, was a collection of 66 books written by <laughs> over 40 authors over 1,500 years. And so he went on a quest to learn about this book. Now, Art would not come to church, but I began to get emails from Art on Sunday afternoon filled with questions about the sermon I had just given that morning. And soon I started realizing he was watching from his computer down in Great Bend, Pennsylvania. And he watched every single Sunday. He wouldn't miss. And next thing I knew, he had invested in Bible software so he could follow along better at home and research himself. But the more Art dug, the more he couldn't bring himself to believe. He just couldn't. He would frequently end his emails to me with this phrase, one more day closer to freedom. Because to Art, death meant freedom. Death meant there must be something better on the other side. But he was conflicted about that because he was scared of death. So it was a hope without a peace. And he was haunted by this question, how can I be forgiven for my past? Until the last week of his life, this was the question that plagued Art. He knew that the Bible teaches you you can have peace with God. He knew that the Bible teaches you all you need is, is faith. But to him, the answer was too simple. And his past was too bad. And so for Art, forgiveness and healing and peace were just out of his reach. Weeks before he took his last breath, I received this email from him. Pastor Justin, still thinking of confession, commitment to him, and just what to expect in the next place. He knew he was dying. Perhaps my wanting out of this lifetime so much for so long has finally manifested as the current medical situation. Smiling here, remembering, be careful what you wish for as you may get it. However, there have been so many unanswered wishes, dreams, and prayers. How do you figure out the Creator? <laughs> Winding down for the night and feeling tired, perhaps we could find time again to discuss spiritual matters. Christmas is getting close. <laughs> Laughing again as I remember once so long ago, walking alone on Christmas Eve night and wishing Jesus a happy birthday. Wonder if he was listening to me. Art. Art was finally admitted to the hospital shortly before his death. And late one night, just after midnight, I was talking to him on the phone. And, and I asked him, Art, do you remember how you can have peace with God? And his reply haunted me. He said, yeah, I do. 
maybe I'll see you on the other side. (laughs) I struggled to go to sleep after that, knowing that he was so close and yet so far from God. That Sunday after church, I went down to visit him in his hospital room. And I walked in, and Art wanted to talk with me. And he said, I, I finally did it. I said, what'd you do, Art? Did you, did, you, did you surrender to Jesus? He said, yes. I said, did you accept the forgiveness of his son, Jesus? He said, yes, I have. <laughs> and I was stunned, and I asked him a ton of questions to see if it was real. It's to see if he had found the, the spiritual healing that he had longed for for years. And his answer was, yes, I have. And I noticed something about Art. Death was no longer something that he feared. All of his insecurities evaporated in the light of Jesus' love and acceptance. Art's one of those guys who never said something he didn't mean. And for eight years, he had firmly and clearly said no to Jesus. And two days before he died, his no turned into a yes. And that was all Jesus asked of him. And Jesus' love and forgiveness filled his heart. Two days later, I was visiting with him. It would be our last visit. And before I left, there were people in the room, but he just reached out to shake my hand, and when he did, he yanked me close to his chest, and he whispered something to me. He says, I've, I've been back and forth the past two days. I saw people. I saw a light. And I looked back at him and smiled. You don't have to be afraid of that light anymore, Art. You know where you're going. And he just shook his head with this firm confidence, and he said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. A lifetime of regret, a lifetime of pain, a lifetime of baggage, and in a moment, Jesus forgave and accepted art. And it seemed too good to be true. But my friends, that's exactly who God is. He is too good to be true. In the last few days of his life, Art stopped fighting God, and finally God's peace and forgiveness flooded his soul. I mentioned the human insecurity rate. It's 100%. Do you know that the human death rate is the same percent? The most important question we should ask ourselves, is my heart right with God? The most important question we can ask those around us is your heart right with God. Jericho's about to be destroyed. One lady in the city believed and God used her in amazing ways because God loves using imperfect people and welcoming them into his perfect paradise. Today, I'm confident that art is home. That Jesus accepted his faith And welcomed him in. And you know what? Art's probably up there right now hanging out with Rahab. (laughs) Exchanging stories that have a lot of similarities. And I talked to Art so many times about the thief on the cross. 
I'm sure Art's already met him. Got this full story. Heaven's going to be filled with messed up people who had faith in a good God. And Art, Art's now one of my faith heroes. And he's a constant reminder to me that anyone who aligns with heaven's hero can become a faith hero. And at Art's funeral, his family, his friends, his co-workers, they got to hear about Jesus because of Art's faith. Would you bow with me? My friend, I don't know your level of insecurity. I don't know how loud that voice is in your head. I don't know what holds you back. But I want you to know that you have a God who loves accepting and forgiving people like Rahab, people like that thief on the cross, and people like Art. He is a God who can use anyone. And maybe today all he's asking is to use you. Don't let your past stop you. Our God is so good that he will allow your past to stay there in the past. He cares more about your future than he does your past. He sent his son Jesus to die and forgive you. And he longs to be your deliverer. And he longs to make your story a faith hero story where the people around you get to see rare, uncommon, powerful faith. You don't have to be a big talker. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be whatever it is that's your ideal. You just have to be you and let God use you. And God loves and delights in using imperfect people who happen to be in the right place at the right time. God, thank you for taking people like us, using people like us, accepting and forgiving people like us. What an honor to be your kids. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.